You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sophie Scott. And I'm James Gill. Our mission is to make wellness accessible to everyone. We'll be chatting with our favourite people. Sharing uplifting news stories. And delivering tips and tricks. To bring balance to your lives. Hello, welcome to the Balance Podcast. Our guest today is the wonderful Ed Gamble. It's World Diabetes Day. Ed Ga- Now, Ed Gamble has said this on stage, uh, questioning whether or not he wants to be known as the diabetic comedian, as uh, as he has been referred to in the past Um but to mark World of Diabetes Day, Ed and I do talk about diabetes. Ed also talks about um, a piece of tech that is helping him live with diabetes. I love Ed a great deal. Uh, you've probably seen him on television. He broke through in the past few years. What I'm getting out there is if you're a comedy fan, you know that Ed has been a force of nature on the comedy circuit for years. Ed got into comedy at university which is remarkable in itself. He's been doing this a long time. Um, but I think of, say, my parents who watch Mock the Week, they are more familiar with Ed through Mock the Week, um, Live at the Apollo. Ed has also had tremendous success with the podcast with his very good friend, James Acaster, called Off Menu. Um, I love Ed a great deal. He's wonderful. Uh, and this is a, another banging it's very arrogant to say of, of uh, the Balance podcast. For me to describe the podcast that I host as banging is arrogant, and I apologise. What I mean by that is the guests are wonderful. They bring their A game, uh, and Ed was no exception. So uh, here he is, just a, a wonderful comedian. Uh, the gra- Oh, if you've not seen him live, he's got a couple of his tour dates left. I can't recommend him enough. He's wonderful. One more thing. One more thing before we get to, to Ed. Sorry. These are like, I've never left, have I left font notes before an episode? Probably. Um, yes, I even say it in the interview. I said it to Ed anyway. I tell a story from school that I will have to edit out because it was a lot of years ago and it's, everything's fine. It was, a, it was, you know, it was a silly thing. But anyway, nevertheless, if you wonder why a couple of bits feel like they've been chopped out, it's because... <laughs> To be transparent, it's because they have been chopped out because I'm 41 now and something silly that something happened at school, something silly that happened at school many years ago. It's not worth, you know, because the teacher, it was a different time. It was, you know, at the end of the day, I, I did a silly thing and was right to get told off. But if I include it now, things that I, I can say this, things that teachers did back then in terms of telling pupils off you you could not get i mean my sister's a teacher 
you could you could not get away with that now. So I, I for in with the greater good in mind, I have chopped the heck out of an anecdote that I share, and you'll just have to trust me on that one. It's the right thing to do. So uh, forgive me for doing it, but it's the right thing. I'm. I'm <laughs> some of you will be intrigued as to what the story is, but if you did know, you'd be like, yeah, I can see why you cut it. So that's why I've cut it. Um, this is not the equivalent of uh, Boris and the Reef and so on. This is just me making an editorial call. And I don't even know if I don't even know if that teacher is still with us. So it just wasn't worth it. So anyway, once again, take two, Ed Gamble. Uh, Ed Gamble, I, I couldn't be more grateful to have you on the podcast. You're younger than me, yet you're such a hero to me. Uh, I remember the first time I saw you, like you know me, I'm a good audience, right? So oh I, yeah, I love, by yourself as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, there's nothing that gives me more pleasure than watching a comedian being brilliant. And so we've gigged with each other so many times. And when I, whenever I watch you, I just think, oh man, this is this is a masterclass. This is great to watch. I'm, how lucky am I to to get to see this? Uh, this is such a fan question. What was the mo? When was the moment when you realised, oh, I've actually I've got quite good at this stand up. I don't know if they're. I mean, thank you first of all <laughs> for saying I am. Uh, I think it's. I don't know how you feel about it. Like it's so cumulative these things that I don't think you notice a moment. It's not like one day you're dying on your ass and then the, you go up the next night and suddenly, suddenly you know how to do it. I think it's just bit by bit. It's increases in confidence as you go along as well, and then suddenly you find yourself not worrying about a gig or uh, you know being braver about you doing new material. There, my yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just and and obviously throughout as well like that can take little dips it can go up and down and you have bad gigs you have good gigs but you just find yourself being in a situation where you know you can know a gig's going to be good and you know how to do a gig and you're not worrying about it and you know how to approach things and i think that's the key it's confidence in knowing what situation you're going into and that you're properly built for it because as soon as there's a situation that is unusual to me i'm i, I fall apart gigging in a new place i will absolutely go to pieces so I can come to your gig, no problem at all. <laughs> well, I mean, was there a moment? Was there a moment when you realised I can actually do this for a living? I'll, I'll explain. So I, I can even remember where I was. I was in a cab with my wife and my parents. I got an email to say that Nick Hell wanted me to be his warm up on Heavy Entertainment. Yeah, and that to me was such a. That was my. That was my really pivotal moment, and it was even the moment when my wife, my wife, either I think later that night when we got home, was. Pretty much word for word said, I was kind of hoping that comedy was a was a hobby right, okay. that you would get yeah, yeah. over. <laughs> and now this has happened. I reluctantly, grudgingly admit that. Yeah, fine, you can do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I I know what you mean. It's it, and that's a vote of confidence. I think I, we're probably quite similar in that. I need other people to say oh, I invest. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I I invest this time and money in you because I think you can do it. Um, but yeah, th those things happen all along. So you know, being asked to support people, I supported Greg Davis on tour. That was a that was a big thing for me in terms of someone actually saying, "I want you to do this. I think I think you're good enough to do this." Is a massive thing. Uh, but in terms of actually making a career out of it, it just happen. It really does happen bit by bit. Like you, those first few gigs where you get offered money, you're like, "That's an insane amount of money for 20 minutes work." When you well, and then when you boil it all down, you realise you're in the car for nine hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but yeah, just getting those bits and pieces and then suddenly you can all string it together and you get a cash flow or whatever and it starts to work out. It's it's very exciting. But I never I'm I'm never one for big uh revelatory moments. I will always just it, it will be yeah, happening. It will be happening before I realised it's happening. Did, did you have that moment early on? Did you ever do the open mic circuit? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I started when I was at uni, so I was at uni in the northeast. See, that's a, that is amazing when I hear that. Yeah, yeah, I've got such. I don't do jealousy, but certainly full of admiration when I hear people such as yourself. Wang is another one. Yeah, who did it at uni? Well, we like so me and Wang are both quite lucky in terms of where we went to uni. So Wang's obviously Cambridge, but I went to uni in Durham. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a bit of a tradition of comedy there. Like there's a student sketch group and there's all of this sort of thing. So there was a pre-established thing in place. Not for really for stand-up. I, I started a stand-up night at uni, which I think was like their, probably their first sort of regular student stand-up Did sketch, not know that. sketch night um, above a fish and chip shop. There was a nightclub above a fish and chip shop near Durham Station. And it was literally the size of a sitting room and it was called Fish Tank and it stank of fish. I've never been, I've never loved a night more in my yeah. life. <laughs> Amazing. So we ran a night called Cool Fun there and nice. we did that monthly every Sunday, no, every once a month on a Sunday. Um, but I, I think we were quite lucky in that, uh, that it was sort of encouraged to do those those sorts of extracurricular things. That's amazing. Yeah. And certainly like Cambridge, we were jealous of Cambridge because they they had sure. such a history of it yeah. that, you know, they, they did these big weekly shows and stuff. So they were constantly writing and constantly doing gigs. So a lot of our listeners probably won't realise that the, the comedians in around your, shall we say, school year, I, yeah. was, I still talk about comedy in school yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's how a lot of us think about it, yeah. Can you just share who was who was, who would come through that? Because it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Well, certainly when I was at uni with Nish Kumar. I mean, already, yeah. that to me is ra- round of applause. So we were we were in a sketch group together. Um, and then, well, I gave Nish his first gig. His first gig was at that fish and chip shop. Um, and uh, Tom Neenan as well, who's like, is one of the head writers on the MASH report. and. Amazing. Uh, is a, has an amazing podcast as well called Tom Nina's and All Men that's just started. Uh, that's just started, which is hilarious. I'll take that bit out. Um, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we all came through Durham, and then there's like Nazos Manilow as well, and Kieran Boyd, and some other who are in like a rival sketch group. But then the Cambridge year is like Wang Ahir Shah, Pierre Novelli, uh, and then it, even people that my sort of year of uni was like Simon Bird, Nick Mohammed, Johnny Sweet. <laughs> I mean, like it's an insane amount of people. Yeah, and definitely people I've left out. A lot. So a lot of uh, one thing that surprises me with stand-up. So I'm I've been an anorak of of comedy. I mean, like pretty much from the womb. So, I mean, I'm, I met Russ Abbott a couple of years ago, and I'd loved him from being a toddler. Yeah, and I have ever told you this. No. So he was such a hero to me from being at such a very young child, and I mean toddler. And I went over to him. It was in a car park, <laughs> and I had that moment. I know you're not supposed to bother people, but I had this moment of. If I don't tell him how much he means to me, then I, I will regret this. Yeah. And I, honest to goodness, it was a full minute of me talking <laughs> for him to work out that I wasn't taking the piss. Uh, so so I, what I'm getting at is I've, loved, I've always loved comedy, but then the more stand-up pals I chat with, so many of them are not comedy fans or never actually... Oh, that's the opposite with me. I I I love it. So who who were you who were you, who were you into in your formative years then? So formative years, I I always thought I, my aim 
was it wasn't even a name. It was just like a sort of distant dream was to be an actor. So I wanted to do sketch stuff. That's yep. how I started off doing sketch comedy. I wanted to be in a gang with uh, um, with Mark Heap, Kevin Eldon, Simon Pegg, Julia Davis, that sort of, so Big Train For era sure. stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then the first live comedy I ever saw was when I was 13. My mum took me to... Steve Coogan, the man who thinks he's it. Oh, mate! Uh, I mean, which that. is, I think, main, remains one of the best shows what I've a, ever seen. What a show that is! And it was Peg, Simon Peg and Julie Davis were That's doing right, support, yeah, of course, but doing it by playing characters in between and during the sketches as well. So Simon Pegg would be like uh, the uh, the stage manager of the gig and would come out in between and do like some warm uppy stuff. Uh, Julia Davis Partridge interviewed uh, Julia Davis as playing this. Um, very funny character, a very Julia Davis character of, of a depressed Scottish woman. Um, all I, the, the bit I distinctly remember from that is uh, she just keeps talking about depression and talking about the big black cloud. <laughs> um, and Alan goes, you're talking about your problems again. <laughs> um, so that was huge for me. Going to see that show was absolutely huge. So I always wanted to do character stuff. I wanted to, to, to do sketch stuff. So that's what I started by doing at uni. But... I think it just became increasingly clear that I was much better in the sketches when they all went off the rails and my character was very thin and I could just riff and, you know, still be in character but also take the piss quite a lot. So that it just, my, my skill set was more in being myself, I think. Where does your funny come from? I don't know. It's, uh, I always like to think of myself as quite a positive person, I think. I always, I, I really resent the uh, the portrait of the comedian as uh, being based in some sort of trauma, because I don't necessarily think it is. Like, I, I like, I like a laugh, James. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. I like. I, I really. That's it. And all of all of my stuff tends to be like anecdote based, and you know, about my own life. It has to start in my own life um, for it to for it to even appeal to me as a potential bit. Were you uh, super quick at school? Yeah, I was. You're cheeky. Yeah, I was the same. Cheeky boy, but nice boy. Not too naughty. I was I was too naughty. I probably was. I've mentally about written that yeah. letter of apology to my secondary school. <laughs> I've got a very I've never I've never told this. I'll tell it. I got expelled. Did you? Yeah. There was a it had snowed heavily in North Leeds one year, and there was a huge snowball fight after school. And I thought this will be hilarious. If when the deputy head comes out, who has a similar hairline to, to myself, if when he comes out, I'll pick up a big pile of snow. And if I smash it on his head, yeah. he will think it's hilarious. And you remember thinking you, I remember you thought thinking, he would think it was funny. I remember thinking it was the at that time, this is the best idea ever. I smashed the snow onto his head. I still remember my friends' faces of, uh, you know, in South Park when everyone looks shocked and it's just wide eyes and wide mouths. Yeah, yeah. It was like that, like as if to say, what have you done? And then he, I better edit a bit out because I, I might have to take this bit out. He, I mean, he, uh, listener, I've edited loads out because I don't, don't want to get this guy into trouble. <laughs> You're out of this school, told my mum, she said, you turn up tomorrow at eight o'clock in the morning and you're going to hand write a letter of apology. And yeah. Went, and it's all right because he, he doesn't get there till nine, mum. Sorry, you may not have heard me. You get there tomorrow at eight o'clock. Ah, oh, right, okay. Gave him the letter of apology. He smirked because it was so... Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry. Smirked, right, get out of my sight, we'll never talk about this again. It's fine. So you're thinking, how old were you 
11, 12? No, I was uh, about to turn 18 and take my A-levels. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, thinking about it, I was a bit naughty. I got suspended for a day. Go on. For rough housing. There was a lot of like... <laughs> All right, Richie Cunningham. No, but there was, you know, just boys, high spirits. Sure. Um, but then also on the last day of school, I got sent home early from the last day of school because I was specifically told by my tutor, um, come on, Ed, you've done really well this last year. Let's not mess it up by doing anything silly. And then I tore all of the uh, genitals out of a porn magazine um, <laughs> to make porn fetty uh, and then threw it out of the top, porn fetty! <laughs> top window of, of the school. And it all sort of rained down, basically, penises and vaginas. <laughs> Onto, onto the quad and they were like all these younger boys doing an exam and they were taking breaks from an exam and then suddenly there's things they'd never seen before oh. and I turned around to run away oh, and it was literally my tutor stood there watching me do all of it so I got I got sent home so I was I, I was naughty but porn, I, I stand by Pornfetti I think that's a really funny porn thing Pornfetti's out I mean yeah, my yeah. reaction said it all yeah. if, if Bart Simpson uh, if the Simpsons had an 18 certificate that is exactly yeah, what Bart would have a bit of Pornfetti a bit of, por- a bit of Pornfetti um, so yeah I was uh, I was a cheeky cheeky boy at school I'd say now now <laughs> you've, you've said this you've performed this as a joke on stage in terms of you were once billed as uh, the diabetic diabetic comedian comedian Ed Gamble but on a like Genuinely, you've done you've done a great job in uh, normalising it, talking about it, getting it out there. You're probably, dare I say, some of the most f- famous person I know who's talked so openly yeah. about it. I mean, that's a beautiful thing that you're doing. I, I, and I can't claim that that's why I started doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. One day... That lad, I don't know, is going <laughs> to commend me. For, yeah. No, 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 no. But the, I, I think... I didn't start talking about being type one on stage or, you know, in, you know, writing articles about it because I thought it'll be good to get the word out there and normalize it and it would make other type ones feel better about it or it would open the discussion. Uh, I I definitely started doing it because I needed something to talk about. <laughs> oh, mate. You, are, you know what it's like to be You're always one of the most you, honest people I've ever met. And that you, is... need, you need things to talk about. For sure. And yeah. it's be- like I need an angle, yeah. Because I look like every comedian from the early noughties. <laughs> no one cares what I have to say <laughs> because we've heard my point of view. You know, I'm a I'm a middle class white man who grew up very comfortably. We don't we don't need my opinion on things. But one thing that I do have that not everyone's got is I'm type one diabetic and sure. I've got things I'd like to say about that. So I thought, you know, I'll start writing about it. But then the amount of messages I've had and the amount of good feeling from other type ones and just other people who are interested about learning about it. And, you know, from parents of type ones as well saying, Oh, my son, really, my son, my daughter's really excited. You know, they're really young and they've just been diagnosed and it's oh, really man. helped, which is great. And I would have no, loved, I would I mean, have loved I really that as well. Genuinely near. I mean, that's a, that's such a, yeah, I Mate, think you're going to be. I'm, I'm, and I mean this. I really, really mean this so sincerely. My moment with Russ Abbott. You will have. You're going to have kids. You, you'll be, you'll be their hero. You know, if if this guy can go on telly and be ferocious, ferociously funny, that gives me so much hope and inspiration. Well, I, I mean, they better watch the stuff I've already recorded because I've run out of jokes about it now. <laughs> <laughs> you say that every year, but that's true. But also, I, I think what what it's done for me as well is I can. 
I can be funny about it, but also I'm now into a situation where I can talk about it in a serious way as well, which is good, which I, I, I'm I'm really excited about. But yeah, I get yeah I get lo- I get loads of messages from people who are, who are sort of happy about it, and because I would have loved I would have loved that when I was diagnosed. So I've had that yeah because I didn't really know what it was, and I, again I was very lucky when I was diagnosed. My mum my mum was a nurse; she noticed the symptoms um, early, so I wasn't hospitalised or anything because. Quite often that can happen when you're diagnosed because your pancreas isn't working. It's not producing enough insulin. You're eating as if yeah, like a normal diet. So your blood sugar just level just goes up and up and up and you can end up in a coma. You can end up having to go to hospital. Luckily, my mum noticed the symptoms and, and it was fine. But then when you're diagnosed, you get given this leaflet as a kid. Yeah. And I'm sure they do something similar now where they'll be like, hey, you know, you've got this thing called diabetes, but... It's not all bad. Look at these people who have type 1 diabetes. And, you know, I didn't care who Gary Mabbott was. <laughs> you know, and I'm sure Mabbott is inspirational to a certain uh, to, sure. to a certain generation. But, you know, I didn't really like football. I uh, Was he Spurs? Spurs. Spurs. I wasn't a Spurs Absolute, fan or anything. I mean, pro- I mean, the word legend is overused, but Gary Mabbott is a, is a Spurs legend. Well, look, Mabbott's a Spurs legend. He's type 1 diabetic. Redgrave, type 1 diabetic. Yeah. Uh, the actor Sean Maguire, he was also in the leaflets from EastEnders. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I guess one day, maybe. You'll be on that leaflet now. I'll get in the you? leaflet. I'd love to get in the leaflet. That's not, that is, that's genuinely nice. Um, you, you, do you know about Gary Mabbott's knee? No. There is a, a Coventry City fanzine <sighs> called Gary Mabbott's Knee because you, you like this. In the 1987 FA Cup final, Spurs were a really strong, especially in the Cups, really strong team. Some real legends in that uh, starting eleven, And they played little old Coventry who'd managed to get to the FA Cup final. And I'm pretty sure it was two all at the time. Coventry player has a shot. It ricochets off poor, unfortunate Gary Mabbott's knee. And that's how they won the FA Cup. So to this day, he, he, he's been immortalised. Gary, the, the Gary Mabbott's knee fanzine. Now, I don't want to get sidetracked, but Gary Mabbott for me is immortalised by uh, We Are Clang. Uh, Greg Davis, Merritt Lowood and Steve Hall's sketch group uh, once had a sketch where um, I think they they said they'd uh, accidentally um, fused Gary Mabbott with Steve's arse. And through the curtain, Steve would stick his bare arse with oh, eyes no. drawn on. And it was called Gary Mabbott. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Mybot. Yeah. Um now get now the, the stats behind diabetes are alarming. So it's it's something like I think one in every nine people in America. So that'll be type two. So it's, it's always two. important to make the distinction. I don't get upset about it. That's no, the are, that's the other thing. The five types. Well, I had this discussion with Richard Herring, weirdly, on, on his podcast. Now I don't know all I really obviously I know the most about type one, because that's what I've got. Uh, I've, I'm vaguely across type two. Yes. Once it starts getting into the other types, they tend to be quite specific. So there's uh, gestational, which basically, you, as a pregnant woman, you can become diabetic for the duration of your pregnancy. And as soon as your baby is born, you're not diabetic Oh anymore, my gosh. Which is crazy. Yeah. There's like 1.5, which is like late adult onset, I think. So I think traditionally in type ones, you're diagnosed, you know, early life or up until you're like 13, I think. 13 or 14, 15. Yep. Um, but then some people get it in the 30s. Uh, and I'm not sure about this type 5. I've got no idea about that. Okay. But, so I, I always make the distinction between type 1 and type 2 
because type 2 i think when people say diabetes they often it's that thing about like people getting it because of lifestyle or being overweight and not being active enough or eating the wrong things and that can happen type 2s can be diagnosed because of that uh that's not what type 1 is type 1 is uh it's sometimes genetic but no one's totally put this yeah. autoimmune thing as well mm-hmm. we think i got it uh because it was slightly genetic and then also i got a really bad cold and my immune system killed the cold and then kept killing like enzymes oh gosh so uh well, the da- the daily mirror said i got diabetes after a bad cold that's not that it doesn't boil down to that um but also be- so people get upset about that as well when so comics will often make jokes about diabetes and be talking about type 2 yeah uh so type 2s will get <laughs> yeah. upset because yeah. uh it's not the sole cause of type 2 there's plenty of very healthy people who are diagnosed with type 2 for genetic reasons or whatever else it is uh and also type 1s get very offended to be lumped in with type 2s i don't get i i'm i'm much happier to just correct people in a calm way yeah, i've i've had the wrath of the type 2s on me because i on uh on <laughs> live at the apollo i said are there any type 2s in here and some people cheered and i said well that doesn't count it doesn't count if you do it to yourself <laughs> I've, which, I've heard you say that yeah, yeah 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 which i've now stopped saying <laughs> Because some people tweeted me and some people were very angry, but luckily sure. a couple of people very calmly explained why that might be an inaccurate thing to say. So I've, I've stopped saying that. So I like to make the distinction. I'm type one, uh, which is not caused by lifestyle. And is, I think about in the UK, one in 700, I think. Wow. Okay. But then that's I, still, think, I mean, that's still high though, isn't it? It is. It's fairly high. And I don't know what co- what's causing like if that's rising or what's causing that. But certainly the stats on type two, there's there's more and more. Is there is there any has there been any sort of uh, breakthrough in terms of helping people in that regard? There's constant breakthroughs. So when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed when I was 13. So I was diagnosed 20 years ago, 20 years ago this year, uh, and it was still at a decent point with technology. I think, like certainly they they were good at telling you what people used to have to do uh, in terms of their diet and in terms of what they used to have to use these massive syringes and how they used to test their blood. Um, and it's certainly come on in the last 20 years. But also, I was told there'll be a cure within the next 10 years. And I think people are still told that, and I think that's the wrong thing to tell people. Yeah. Because, A, it gets your hopes up, uh, and B, I don't th- I don't think there will be one. I really don't think there will be one. And it's also, like, I just... I, I think we'll get to the point where the technology is so good, we don't need a cure. Absolutely. But And I think that's the way most things work. That's why we work in a capitalist society as well. People would much rather find enough tech to make people live as normal a life as possible rather than find something that solves it all immediately. Um, and I think that the tech is the tech is great now. So there's uh, I, I've, I've been, I mean, amazingly given something because I, t- I can talk about these things publicly. Um, so I work with a company called Dexcom who... Uh, How are you spelling uh, Dexcom? D-E-X-C-O-M. Um, who makes something called a constant glucose monitor. So the, the the problem, the main problem with type 1 diabetes, and a lot of people will be like, oh, how do you do injections every day? Because well, otherwise, you know, I'm going to die. <laughs> and there's, the needles are tiny. The annoying thing is is trying to maintain a decent blood sugar level and keep it within a certain range. Because it's not, you can't, you try and have a routine, but environmental factors uh, factors affect it uh, and then you're eat, you're, whatever you eat affects it so unless you're eating the same thing every day and doing exactly the same thing in exactly the same conditions and even then 
stress affects it. So blood sugar levels are up and down all over the place sometimes depending on what's going on in your life. So that's the stressful bit. And what this does, so I've got something called Dexcom uh, G6, I think it is. So I have got, uh, I'll show you. Yeah, yeah. You see that? Yeah. G6, yeah. So I've got like a sensor thing in my stomach which Bluetooths to my phone. So I've got my blood sugar level on my phone. It's a little bit high at the moment, but that's fine. I know it's steady. So you can see that there. So it's basically a graph. And what that does is that tells me my blood sugar is at that level, which is 10. It's difficult to be perfect, guys. You can't be perfect all of the time. Um, And it tells me it's holding steady. But when it starts to drop, it'll show an arrow that it's dropping. So I need to, you know, if it's a low level anyway, I'll need to eat something. And if it's going up, I need to do some insulin, which reduces it down. So it's like a, it's just a graph that tells you where you're at in real time, which it has honestly changed my life. I was going to say, I want to say to the listener, uh, to anyone who wanted to find out more, what Ed described there on his phone looks like, and I'd say this is a compliment mm-hmm. to Dexcom, looks like any uh, health or fitness app that, you, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, totally. that, you, that you've ever seen in totally, your life. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, that, you're not being blinded by science. That no, was, no, 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 it's to, it's, I mean, you can look further into the, in, into the stats, but sure. um, that is just a brilliant real-time thing for, say, if I'm going on stage or I'm going into a meeting or, or I'm about to drive or I am driving, if I've got, you know, I can just go be like, boop, yep, that's fine. We don't need to worry about that now or right. I need to do something about this. Now, so like, how has it changed your life? Well, it, I used I used to have to prick my finger, you know, up to 10 times a day. Uh, and even then, when you see that, it's just a cold number and you, d- you don't know a trend. You don't know which way it's then going. Oh, wow. That, yeah. So now I can look at that and it's 10 and I know it's not going anywhere for and a bit. The little bit. arrow is pointing. The little arrow, yeah. But I could test my blood sugar and it, with just the blood and it would say 10 but I'd be like I don't know if that's going up or it's going down now I can do quite a lot of that with the way I feel sometimes you know I, I can tell if my blood sugar is dropping from the way I feel or it's going up from the way I feel if it's going up I get really stressed it's going down feel shaky and wobbly um, but there's plenty of people out there who don't have those symptoms so there's people who don't have a hypo as a low blood sugar who don't have hypo symptoms and that is a godsend for them and also for ki- for kids, so for parents of young diabetic kids, I can't imagine having a young diabetic kid and putting them to bed every night, sure, because things go wrong in the night, yeah, and they don't know what they don't know what to do. They're only young kids, but if you can have that and you can check that, then you know they're fine, and you oh, can God, leave yeah. them to it. Because I mean, uh, someone with with two young kids, they're not, they can't obviously, no, of course so not. Like, you know, they can't say I feel yeah X Y or Z, you know. yeah. You just have to sort of learn to spot that in them or with something like this. You can look without having to go, come over here, I'm going to prick your finger again. Because that's no life for a little kid if you're constantly being dragged off to... So that's why it's good. But the the thing is that it's... And I'm very open about this. I, I I am given this because I'm working with the company. It's not currently on the NHS, but I'm specifically working with them to try and get this onto the NHS because it is the best... It's the best thing out there in terms of making a type 1 diabetic's life as normal as possible. Yeah. There's still the injections. You know, I do injections, but, you know, a lot of people are on pumps. I'm looking into that as well. Yeah. Um, I kind of don't want to have too much stuff. <laughs> I think you could really nail it down and just end up with a whole suit of stuff. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, I really, I, I really think this is the most integral thing that could change type 1, type 1 life forever. So what's that procedure? So Ed on his midriff had it looked like like a Bluetooth 
tracking yep. type device. Is that quite easy? So to... all it is. So I put that one on this morning. They last eleven days. Um, it's a sensor. This just comes with an applicator thing. You put it on there, it sticks on, and then you've got a transmitter which you click in there, and then you connect connect it to your Bluetooth. Um, and then the sensor lasts eleven days, and the transmitter lasts. I think the battery lasts like three months or something. Don't hold me to those numbers. Um, but it's it's around that. Uh, and at the moment, you know, you'd have to pay for it if you want, if if you wanted to do that. Of course. Um, but I, I really, I, I, I'm very passionate about this as a thing. I'm not surprised. It, it has really, it's completely changed my life. And I'm guessing, and are you hearing similar feedback from other people? Who've used yeah, it? for sure. I mean, I know they've they've got a lot of sort of ambassadors out there in various uh, in various fields like sports and uh, and acting and stuff. And who, who else globally is a, a type one then? Well, uh, I, mean, I mean, Redgrave. I mean, in terms of. In terms, In terms of, of what you what I mean, you can what you can actually achieve, yeah. which is anything, by the way, it's just what I'd say about Type One, and I tell people is like having another job. So I basically just got a twenty four hour job. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and it gets it gets easier, but then it and then it goes in waves. Like it can be very hard for a few weeks, and then and then fine. Uh, but it's always in the background, even if it's going well. Um, so to be able to do something that Redgrave did is I, I'd say it probably makes it a lot harder but you can you can do it it should never prohibit you from doing anything although I still don't think I'm allowed to be a pilot um, fair enough never say never <coughs> um, you got Redgrave uh, James Norton the actor James Norton you know him yeah uh, mm, I mean there's I mean, always linked with Bond isn't he yeah he is he would be good he'd be a good Bond also gadgets type 1 gadgets Oh my god! Just have Q giving Bond a new type of insulin pen that looks like a cigarette. Imagine the uh, the blatant uh, paid for advertorial mid Bond movie. <laughs> What's that? Double O Seven. It's Dexcom. <laughs> there's some absolute my favorite. It's a film that I love, and I'm and I'm not being critical, but it, there is a there's a moment that in Casino Royale where Eva Green's uh, Vespa Lynn says to James Bond. Uh, he, she sees his watch. They're on a train. Yeah, do you remember this bit? No. And she goes. Uh, she looks at the watch and she goes Rolex, and Bond <laughs> goes Omega, and she goes Perfection. <laughs> and you're like, come on, guys, come on, guys, you can work a bit harder to. Uh... There's uh, there's uh, the Wall Street sequel, Money Never Sleeps. Yeah. And the waiter comes over to Michael Douglas Gordon Gecko's table. I'm paraphrasing, but it's pretty much the way it goes. Anyone like a drink? And and Gordon Gecko says something like, Yeah. I think I'll have a Heineken. And he points to the table, Heineken? And then everyone puts their hands up and he goes, five Heinekens. And you're like, come on. Uh, oh, in terms of the... Because I, t- I totally hear you about the, the sketch and the, and the character stuff. Yeah. Has there ever been an opportunity or temptation to pursue that? Well, I... So I did a TV show in 2014, 2015. We did two series of a TV show called Almost Royal, where God, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. So I played, I played a, I think the 50th. I was so chuffed when you got that. Yeah, me too. And that was... <laughs> <laughs> no, but what, what I'm getting, this is me patting myself on the back, and I do apologise. But obviously, we know a lot of comedians when certain person gets certain. Oh, how did they get that? Whereas yeah. I'm, I'm always very much, oh, good for, good for, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm pretty. I but mean, that's I, great. I, I mean, mean, I'm yeah. more pleased with the, I think I'm genuinely, I'm often more pleased than the person it's happened to, you know. Well, that's why that, that you're a rare breed, James. Because, <laughs> Sorry, I, um, I wish I'd not said that, but. You, no, you, know you are, I mean? because uh, I, it's so difficult to make that mental shift, I think, um, especially for comedians, as, you know, we're all working in a fairly solitary environment most of the time. Uh, 
And I think I've certainly been guilty uh, during my career of looking at people and going, oh, I, I, I want to do that. Why, why am I not doing that? And it's so... I think I've made the mental shift in the last couple of years yeah, of just gonna... stopping looking sideways. It's the worst thing you can do. And actively being happy for people. And it is as easy as going, I'm going to do this now. And it really cha- it really changes the it way you change. approach your own work as well, I think. Uh, so depending, I, I think, I think Gabby, we've got Gabby Logan, as a, we've recorded it last week. Uh, so that might come out the week after. So I'm going to spoil a bit. But uh, we were talking about uh, when sports people say something that really stays with you. Yeah. And my, I heard that, I think this genuinely changed my mindset because I think when I was younger, before I got into comedy, I probably was, hmm, I was boo, boo, boo. And then Michael Johnson at the at one Olympic Games was giving constructive criticism to some the British relay team. And what Michael Johnson said, Michael Johnson, if you're not a sports fan, certainly one of my sporting heroes, but one of the greatest Olympians of, of all time, just a such a, an icon and now one of the best pundits. And what he said to them was, you can't concern yourself with what other people are doing. Yeah. You can only focus on being the best you. He said, because what if you what if you end up uh, bettering that person? He's like, well, well then what? You, where's your motivation? Mm-hmm. So he says, as long as you always focus on being the best you, you'll never be concerned with what other people... Yeah. And that, I mean, I must have heard that more than 10 years ago. And I, I, I think that's like... Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That's, that's life-changing advice. Yeah. Um, because it's, a, like Gabby said, it's, it's a wasted energy is jealousy, isn't it? You just, you end up miserable. You end up completely miserable. And I, I've not, you know, I've not gone too far down that path before. I always manage to snap myself out sure. of it. But, and I've not, I've not even had those thoughts for many years because you've just, you've, you've totally got to concentrate on, on what you're doing. And then if you do something good and you achieve something, then you can be, you can be happy with that. You're sure. not constantly keeping one eye on what, Absolutely. comparing that to everyone else. But Steve McQueen's goal was to, was to, be bigger than Paul Newman, and then they made Towering Inferno together. There's the controversy over the credit, but McQueen is listed first, albeit slightly lower than Newman. And so McQueen had achieved his yeah his aim, and then quit, they, quit acting. Yeah, yeah. He came back like five years later, but he was a it was it was sort of, I mean I say this is a huge fan. It was sort of dare I say it was 
all over by then, really. Yeah. It was an unsuccessful comeback. And so he, he's like proof that yeah. he achieved his goal and, and then subconsciously he's gone, oh. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, it's, it is, a sh- is it not a shame that there isn't much sketch comedy these days? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I'm so now out of that. So like, so I did it at uni and then, I mean, I did that TV show, but that was more of a, uh, so we were acting with real people and it was sort of a, a semi undercover sort of, it was like a nice Borat. Uh, Brilliant. Yeah. Like, Brett, that's that, and that was always our top line nice was, Borat. was, uh, I mean, I, lo- I absolutely love For Borat. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think I think we just wanted to do that sort of thing, but where we were always the idiots and we were a minor speed bump in people's days. We weren't, we didn't spoil spoil their career or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I did I did that, but I never truly sort of dug. I was in a double act for a long time, but we weren't really. We were a very front facing uh, old school double act. Yeah. We weren't like a sketch. We weren't a sketch double act. Uh, it is it is a shame because there's so many amazing sketch acts on the live circuit there's so it's still the most exciting thing about edinburgh so a sketch act i go and see stand-ups in edinburgh but my main thing i'll go and see is is sketch acts because it's completely different to what i do i love it and there's so it's true. such an exciting and innovative genre um and it is it is a real shame but also i think a transfer of sketch to tv is the hardest thing to do absolutely because the exciting thing about watching live sketch in a little room in edinburgh is that they can create these worlds they can do lights down and then lights up and somehow using one prop or performance or lighting they've completely switched to another location you're like oh i'm here i'm in it and you just enjoy the performance it's not impressive in tv because you know they'll cut to another set yeah it's like oh, okay so it's not as exciting i think the happiest i've ever seen my dad is seeing pappies that always be comedy yeah now you and i know that that sketch didn't really i love pappies please don't sue me lads but you and i know that sketch probably didn't go wrong but my dad sat there sure wiping actual tears yeah yeah, yeah. and he's thinking i can't believe i'm here yeah, on yeah. the night yeah when tom parry <laughs> quits you know but I, I love all that still oh, i still watch mate. stuff like that where of course i know and it's not not just this isn't just about pappies but like plenty oh, of God, i said a bad thing there no not at oh, all good. no no no. I, I was in a double act for ages and we would deliberately make it go wrong and then you'd improv around a genuine mistake and then the next night you keep going with it and but you've got to make the mistake again and you've got to keep going and and you end up with a really funny bit but yeah. and i watch stuff now and i'm like i know i still absolutely i know this is based it. on a real mistake yeah. but that mistake happened 18 months ago yes uh, <laughs> yeah and by the way bravo <laughs> yeah and that's absolutely fine i've got no i've got no issue with that but and but it's live sketch is so exciting um, may i ask and again unashamed fan question yeah. By the way, whenever you're feeling low, always drop me a line because I'll, I'll always tell you what I think of you and uh, I'd, I'd lift you right back up there. But, right, I, I'm going to make you uncomfortable and I apologise with this. Um, I, I, could, I could see you Saturday night, BBC One, ITV, hosting whatever you like. Yeah. Is that the sort of thing that excites you or not? Not really. Not really. I, I sort of knew that that would be the yeah. answer. You, probably, you know the old Simpsons line, you can yeah. see the moment his heart breaks. <laughs> uh, no, no, it isn't. And that's not to say it wouldn't in the future, but it's just not my world. Like even whenever I've done, occasionally you do panel shows with those sort of level of celebs, mm. uh, 
and who are always very nice people but it's just the aim is always different it's not it's just not my world like all i i just want to do comedy and the purest form of comedy and i just want to make people laugh a lot and i i the sort of light-hearted entertainmenty shiny floor stuff uh is by design appealing to as many people as possible and that's not what comedy is if you want to make people scream with laughter i don't think you're appealing to as many people as possible because then you're just making everyone titter um it's just not it's just not my sort of thing and i've you know i've done those panel shows like i say and it's just lovely people just not my world i always feel uncomfortable and if i don't enjoy something i'm awful at it so and you'd be able to tell got to enjoy something yeah you you look at like rob beckett has done some big show entertainment shows like that be so good at them yeah because he's he is enjoying it. I warmed up on a altogether now. Yeah. And so watched Rob close up and it gave me all the pleasure in the world to be in his dressing room afterwards to say to him because obviously on the edited show of course he's brilliant but in the room he's he, you know that is not a clever edit the guy's brilliant yeah, yeah, yeah. from yeah. start to finish there's bits that he know won't make the edit but because he's so like yourself funny just falls off him. Yeah. So he's absolutely running that show for the the, and, the, the whole record, you know. And I suspect that's because he enjoys it. But, I mean, it's even more of a skill if he's not enjoying it to be able to do that. <laughs> I can't I can't hide anything like that. So if I'm not enjoying something, I, will, uh, I won't be good at it. So I'm in a very privileged position as a comic now to basically pick stuff that I know I'm going to enjoy. Well, one thing you do enjoy and one thing that a lot of our listeners will know you from is, is Mock the Week. Now, obviously, you and I know a lot of the guys who've been on that show from the from the year dot but obviously there was a there was a feeling that it was it could be quite combative and quite yes. uh, quite a tricky environment to be around uh, this is me being as if you're thinking wow he's really trying to sound diplomatic yeah yes i am whereas now uh it's super happy and lovely is it yeah not? and i i don't i don't think you need to tiptoe around that i think people have been very open about that about the fact it used to be you know, very, very combative and, uh, you know, and everyone involved was lovely individually. I just think they'd somehow created this sort of culture of, you know, you write your jokes and then you go in and uh, if it's the last thing you do, you'll get all those jokes in even if you're trampling over everyone else's. Yeah. And I don't think anyone really enjoys that. Sure. The no one's going, oh, I feel so energised by that really negative, <laughs> negative atmosphere. Oh, I love how he just scowled at yeah. me. <laughs> and even if you watch old ones, they're like, in the scenes we'd like to see, people are just oh, I mean, pushing in front of each other and stuff. They literally are. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that doesn't happen now. And I, I, I was it, there. You guys the t- are laughing with each other? Yeah, exactly. Now it's completely, it feels like a completely different show to how it's been described. I, I was not there during that combative time. I think I probably came at the new beginning of the new generation or sort of midway through the new generation. So the first one I did was Rob was on that, uh, Ramesh, uh, Sarah Pascoe. I mean, these are I mean, just lovely. Is the loveliest people. Just really nice yeah. people. So supportive. <laughs> Everyone gives lovely advice. And every, all the advice they gave me is all the advice I now give to people doing it for the first time. Um, so I think now it's created a lovely culture of people just supporting each other, and there's lots of new people coming through. And it's 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 really it's genuinely fun. Like there's still that thing of like I've written these things and you know I've got my things I want to say, but eighty percent of the show now is listening to what other people say and reacting off the back of that and trying to get something going. And that's what they favour in the edit now as well. And Dara's really happy. I've read quotes from Dara. He's, he, I think it's the happiest he's 
enjoyed the show. But that's his his wheelhouse is he is the funniest off the cuff. If you also it's it's He's so tall. This this seems <laughs> so well to me anyway, he's not a tall man, but whenever I see him, I'm like, He's very Jesus tall. Christ. This seems counterproductive as a comic. You feel like you you should be the one getting the laugh all the time. But in mock you're building things all the time. And I always feel immensely proud if I can say something that sparks Dara off to go <laughs> on like some massive, like yeah. world creating riff. And I can be like, I did that. Even though it's not mine, he's getting all the laughs now. You, but you provided the assist. Yeah, provided the assist. And, you know, I don't mind that. Probably now, to my detriment as a comedian. No, no, you're joking. <laughs> I mean, um, is it, by the way, is your is the George Harrison routine available? Is that online? I think I did that on Mock, actually. I don't think it's the best version of it, because when you do the stand-up, it's on Mock, it's sort of... It's so you've cu- never done it as stand-up on telly? No, I don't think I have. W- would you the next time it comes along? Yeah, maybe. I sort of, it's one of those routines that... He, he asked pleadingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of the. That yeah. is one of the funniest. I mean, I've like you, you know, thousands upon hours of, thousands upon thousands of hours of comedy. That's that's one of the bits that, and I mean this, comedy around the world. Yeah, that's that's up there with the hardest a bit has ever made me. Oh, thanks, laugh. man. I sort of weirdly forget about that bit because I think that the comedians might be able to associate with this. It was in an Edinburgh show that I didn't enjoy that much. So I sort of don't associate it. With, do, yeah, I associate it with having some rough days, uh, rough days at the Edinburgh Festival. Um, but maybe I'll give it a resurrect. Like, I, so I filmed a special this year, uh, and I put in a really old bit, which is basically from like I didn't, I never even did it in Edinburgh because I wrote it before two years before my first hour. Yeah, but it just fit perfectly in, and I just resurrected it, and now it now it's lovely. So maybe I'll. That's uh, a great idea, though. Yeah, maybe I'll bring it back. I was so I warm up for Harry Hill, and he. In between bits, brought back just to throw away. He said, "Do you want to hear the first the joke? First joke I ever wrote." And yeah. Obviously, everyone in the room with me loudest. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and he told this joke. It was uh, just had one of my uh, testicles brought down from Derby. Right. And he got his huge laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so he, I think he told. I think he told three, and then he just for my benefit shouted, "James, I need to resurrect these." But there's. <laughs> But there's no, there's no shame is not the right word. There's nothing wrong in bringing back an old bit because no, crap, totally you know. no. But that's also a thing within comedy. I think we all get in our own heads about what everyone's thinking of us. And, yes, um, and it just doesn't matter. Like so, the idea of bringing back an old bit, or like I, I think UK comedy is caught up in this thing. If you need to write a new hour every year for Edinburgh, and that's fine if that's what you want. I mean, to do. good luck, knock yourself out. Yeah, but occasionally you, you know. That there's show some, may there's not some be old as strong bits. as it yeah. could have been. Like, I go back to old bits and read through them or, you know, remember old bits. I'm like, oh, I'm way better at comedy now. And that premise was funny. I just didn't have the skills to unpack it yeah. properly. So let's go back and let's see what let's see what I can get out of it now. And, and I'm not, I won't name names. Yeah, I will actually. I'm a huge fan of, of old school comedy, but people such as Les Dawson and Morecambe and Wise, who... Absolute heroes to me. I think at my at my wedding, I think I was allowed to name the tables at my wedding, so name them after heroes. I'm pretty sure there was a more cool and wise table. So I say this with love, but they were performing live the same act. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much through their yeah. whole career. But I guess you, yeah, you, you could do that. But you, but with, if someone was doing that now, I mean, the you the snark behind their back. You know? Yeah, but also like you just you just couldn't do it because of the internet. So everyone's seen everything. The internet. That's the thing. Yeah. It's not something that Les Dawson with ten years. And again, I love I love Les, but 
he does the Royal Variety. I, I, if it's not if it's not Royal Variety, and it's Sunday Night the London Palladium. I apologise, but nevertheless, ten years apart, but uh, reportedly yeah. same set. But back then, the crowd probably hoping that he did the same yeah, set. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. Um, no, I, I, I mean, writing new stuff is the biggest rush. I think what, finding a new bit that works. And when that happens, yeah, that's such a huge rush. Uh, before before you go, um, I do I do I do this classic thing where I will say before you go, and then I'll we we talk for another six months. <laughs> but be, before you go, is there anything that you can? Uh, is there a, a, a project that you can reveal? What's what, either one that you can reveal, or is there is there a dream project that you would like to achieve? Oh, um, is there a project I can reveal? Um, I'm doing. I'm doing something connected with music. That's what that's what I'll say. I can't mm. give you any more details other than that because I'm a big uh, yes. I'm a big music fan. I'm a bit well. I'm a big metal fan specifically. So I'm doing something sort of in that world. Brilliant. Um, that I'm very excited about. So keep an, keep an eye out for that. I'm excited on your behalf. Um, I think we may have talked about this in walking to or from a gig once, but uh, yeah, maybe I'll tell you. Off. I'll tell you. Off. That's great, but yeah, no, that's that's very exciting. Uh, so I like all of that sort of stuff. Uh, do we do more? So doing off the off menu podcast with James Acaster. So we're doing more of those, and we might sort of get out and about, and you know, start trying to find some more global guests next year. Amazing, should be fun. So you'd go global, so you travel to meet them. Yeah, I think so. Wow, I think that's sort of the plan at the moment. Great. Because um, that seems to be going, people have taken to that, oh so it's gosh, worth sure. worth jumping on that. I'd like to do some of those live as well. Um, but also, that's a great idea, doing it live. Yeah, I think I think the appetite might might be there, pun intended. Sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, yes, so that I mean, I'd like to again, like you say, like I I'm not I'm not chomping at the bit to be like I'll take any TV offer that comes my way. I've got. You know, a few ideas. I'm, you know, writing a. I'm always beavering away at some sort of scripts or something. So, may, may I ask what do you do? A question that I'm supposed to ask every uh, episode, and probably remember to do it about one in twenty. <laughs> what do you What do you do for balance? So, when you're not gigging and comedying and podcasting, what do um, you do for balance? It's. I, I mean, it's so important. I've only realised in the last few years quite how quite how important it is because I know plenty of people who are incredible and don't and don't think about balance and uh and burn themselves out and i'm not i'm not going to do that i've always got that at the forefront of my mind and also i think it's i'm sure you've had comedians say this on the podcast before the balance thing is so difficult as a comedian because it starts off as something that you love so for me certainly comedy was a hobby comedy was my fun bit of the balance but now the balance it shifts so my work's the comedy. What am I going to do instead of that? And yeah. also you've got this weird guilt thing, or I do, uh, that why should I take time off from this? I'm so lucky to be doing it. Why should I have it? Why should I have any balance? Because it's supposed to be fun, right? Yeah. But I've realized recently, no, you need to try and separate work and, and home life. I'm in a very happy relationship. I'm getting married next year. Honestly. Congratulations. Thank Fantastic. you. My balance is just going home and spending time with her. and eating out a lot i love food but i'm starting to make that my work as well now with the podcast <laughs> um but yeah I, I i love eating out i love cooking i'm going home i'm going home to cook bao buns from scratch tonight i'm giving that a go amazing uh so there's that uh, i go to see a lot of bands um just really just fun hobby stuff 
We've got to do it. And then sometimes, it, well, yesterday I had a day off and I was, I was looking forward to it for about two weeks. It was pretty full on for two weeks. And I was like, I can't wait. I'm going to have a day off. Um, uh, and uh, I was like, I'm going to do nothing. And then within three hours, I was like, I feel depressed. <laughs> this is awful. Like, so then I had to go and make myself do something. But I can't do nothing. But you- spending time, spending time with, with my fiancé, really. I, I said I, there was an episode that went out last week, and I, because I, I talk a, obviously talk a great game about balance, but don't yeah don't actually live it myself. And I got back from a gig, uh, and put on a Premier League show after five minutes, literally five yeah. actual minutes of watching the show. The little voice was like, "You piece of shit!" You're like. Fuck it, come on, mate. That was me behind your curtain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ed, th- thank you so much. Oh, um, thank you. That was I mean, a great but, chat. By the way, I, I, I know we've got to go. I could have, uh, I could have easily that could have gone on for five hours. So, uh, thank you very much. Well, is, there thank any, you. is there anything? I've never said this before. Uh, anything we've not covered that you wanted to cover? The t- tour. People got a chance to see you on tour. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. So uh, let me do. Let me do my list of plugs. Yeah, let, no, we'll let's do, do that. that. Um, so this is next week, I guess, is it? What day do you want to go out? 14th? Yeah, then, that's all right. Then today's the 14th of November. Absolutely. Today's the 14th of November. Uh, I'm still on tour. I've got a few dates left of this tour. It's the second leg. I've extended it. Um, uh, I'm excited for it to come to a close, but yeah. also I'm still enjoying it. Uh, but specifically in London, I'm doing my biggest show ever at the Shepherds of Bush Empire. Yes, yes. On December 20th. Uh, so my website, go on to that. Just Google it. Just Google it. I'm at the Shepherds of Bush Empire. Um and then off menu podcast. Uh, I also do a Sunday morning radio show with Matthew Crosby from Pappies uh, on Radio X. <laughs> um, and there's a podcast of that as well. So you can get that. Um, that's about about it. Yeah, uh, if you've not seen Ed live, it's he's one of the greatest live comedians that that you can that you're going to see. He's he's wonderful. Oh well, thanks, James. I'm, I, that I don't know why feels I said like a live comedian, but you know what I mean. Stand, you know, yeah, 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 sure, 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 sure. Uh, have I set the bar too high? Yeah, maybe. I'm fine. It's good. It's all right. Pop along. No, but you're, <laughs> you're proper. It's proper doubling over, holding onto a wall type of. You know, call me old fashioned, but I like my stand ups to really make me laugh. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Well, I mean, well done, man. I, I think you you just you, you're wonderful, and you're a. a you're such a lovely dude as well. So thank thanks, you. Uh, man. Huge thanks, thanks to Ed. On. Huge thanks to you for listening. Uh, as always, please spread the word. Tell, I mean, I should have this bit automated by now. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Tweet. Some of you oh, some of you shared. Bless you. Thank you. Uh, God, I mean, the desperation in my voice is heartbreaking. Uh, we are at Balance LDN across the socials. I'm at James Gill Comedy. Um, and our website is balance.media. Creak in the chair, sorry. Uh, Balance.media. I tell you what, we're back tomorrow with another episode. Yes, indeed. To mark the release of um, Le Mans 66. I, I mean, I'm sure there's a happy medium between my Yorkshire accent saying Le- Les Mans and me. What I was doing there with the French, I have no idea. Le Mans 66. Anyway, I'll see you tomorrow. Well, you know, figuratively speaking I'll see you tomorrow you know what I mean I mean this is just waffle now uh, thanks again to Ed uh, and yes indeed Google his name to buy uh, tour tickets he's, he's wonderful and uh, thank you bye bye 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.